great singing church. Well, it's good to see you again this morning. Uh, we are continuing our series called Vision Checkup 22. So what we're doing is we're, we're taking a moment at the beginning of this new year uh, to really stop and, and pause and reflect on our vision that, that we believe God has given us to pursue as a church. Uh, so what we're doing is, is we're looking, uh, the first week we looked at the vision itself that we believe God's given us, and I'll get into that in just a second, and, and the strategic ministry plan that we believe he's given us to pursue. Uh, well, last week we started looking at core values. We looked at the first two, and this week we're going to finish and look at the last three. So core values three, four, and five. So before we dig into that, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get right to it. So let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your grace uh, and just allowing us to be here to worship you. Lord, as we talk about who we need to be as a church, I pray that you would help us to see in the scriptures today, uh, through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, exactly who it is that we need to be collectively as the people of God and what our uh, attitudes and character and behavior uh, needs to look like to better reflect to the world who you are through us. So help us to see that today, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, essentially the question that we are uh, asking as we look at this vision uh, series is, who does God want us to be as a church, right? And that's a great question to ask. Uh, just like in the real world, in your personal life, you can search for your identity and, and, and spend years trying to figure out who you really are and who you want to be and these kinds of things that you hear out in the world today. Well, the same is true for a church. A church can wander around uh, in this kind of identity crisis for years and years if it doesn't have a direct calling and understanding of who God is calling the church to be. And so that's what we've been looking at, is, is who does God uh, want us to be as his people, as the body of Christ, the family of God, the bride of Christ, who is he calling the New Testament church to become and to be? Well, here at Kernan, we have a vision statement that uh, articulates who we believe God wants us to be, So, and exactly our purpose. So this vision statement is this. Kernan, we as a church, we exist to glorify God by making disciples who then do three things. Worship with authenticity, walk in community, and witness as we go. So we want to be a church that primarily our, our focus and our, and our main objective is to bring glory to God by being obedient to his word of making disciples. Right? Jesus commanded his people to go and make disciples of all nations. And so that means that we, we share the gospel and we, we disciple those who come into the fold, who come into the faith, into the family of God. We, we try really hard to teach them the truths of Jesus. And so we're all walking with the Lord. We're growing together in our faith, right? So we, so we come together and gather as a church to worship God, but then we're walking with the Lord personally and together. And so we're growing in our faith in Christian community in the church, but we don't hoard this for ourselves, right? There is a lost world out there that doesn't know the greatness of Jesus Christ and what he has done and who he is and, and what he has for them. So we don't just leave it in here, right? We, we come to get together to worship, we walk in community, but then we witness as we go out and as we live our lives for the Lord. That's, that's the plan, if you will. That's the vision that we believe God is calling us to pursue as his people in the 21st century in Jacksonville, Florida, specifically on Kernan Boulevard and around this area. That's where God has us, right? He has different churches that look different in different parts of the city or different parts of the state or the country and the world, but he's put us here. This is where we are. And so we believe that this is the vision God's given us to pursue. And so we talked about our strategic ministry plan and how uh, specifically these ministries carry out this vision. And so we, I'm not going to recap all of that specifically, but uh, you can go back and watch that sermon. That was two weeks ago. We talked about exactly how we want to pursue this vision and the details of that. Well, last week we started talking about our core values. See, 
Core values for any organization, whether it's religious or not, are very important because you may have the best business plan in the world, uh, you may have the best ministry plan in the world, and, and it looks great on paper and, and it gets people excited and all this good stuff, but if you do not, as an organization or as a church or even as your family, right, if you don't, if you don't live out the values that you truly hold to and cherish that are gonna keep you on the path, then the plan is really no good, right? So it's actually those core values, sometimes we refer to them here at Kernan as guardrails because they serve as guardrails that are gonna keep us on the road, keep us on the path, the straight path that we believe Jesus wants us to pursue in our pursuit of him, right, as a church. And so last week, uh, we looked at the first two of these guardrails or these core values that are going to keep us on the path, on the road uh, to pursuing the vision God's given us. So the first one, just to recap real quick, I want us to look at the, these first two again and the scriptures and then we'll move on. But the first one last week we looked at was that we keep the gospel first. So that's our first core value here at Kernan is that the gospel is the main priority. We want to keep what who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for us, the gospel message at the front and center of everything we do so that it actually, everything else really revolves around that, right? So every ministry that we do, every evangelistic opportunity, every time we gather, every song we sing, right? Everything we do should be centered around the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done, what that means for us. That is uh, the gospel that we keep first. So 1 Corinthians 15, verses three through five, Paul said it this way. He said, for I delivered to you as of first importance, right? And this is not a secondary issue. This is not a tertiary issue. This is the first issue, Paul says, is most important. What I also received, and this is it, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12. So what Paul is saying is, there are a lot of other important things, right? But the most important thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we stay focused on that message, if that is central to who we are as a church, boy, that will keep us from division, it will keep us from unnecessary strife and arguing and confusion. The gospel keeps us centered on who the Lord is. That's our first core value here at Kern. The second one we looked at last week is that we want to know what the Bible says and means. We want to know what the Bible says, right? So we want to be familiar with the Bible, the Word of God. Uh, we, we believe here at Kernan that the Word of God is authoritative because it is from God. It is the words of God himself, right? And so we believe that therefore the Bible carries authority over our lives. And so we submit and obey to the teachings of Jesus and who he is as he's revealed himself through the Bible. So so we want to know what it says, right? So we want to be familiar with it, but we also want to dig deeper in our knowledge of it. And so we want to do good Bible study. We want to really get to know exactly what the commands of Jesus and his holy word are so that we can faithfully pursue them. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17 says this, Paul says, all scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. So notice that it's it, it comes from God, right? It's breathed out by God, but it's also useful, right? It, it's not just something to, to chew on like a bite-sized, you know, thought, here's my thought of the day from my daily prayer calendar. It's more than that, right? It, it's profitable for, look at this, teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here at Kernan, we want to know what the Bible says, and we want to know what the Bible means, so that we not so that we can answer more Jeopardy questions, but so that we will actually have this passion and this perseverance to live out what the Bible is profitable for, 
for teaching, reproof, correction, training in, <clears throat> training in righteousness, excuse me, <clears throat> so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, so those are the first two values we looked at uh, last week. So now, core value number three. All right, so we're going to look at three, four, and five today as we finish up our vision series uh, to kick off this new year. So number three is this. We pray frequently and specifically. So here at Kernan, we want to be a people of God who highly value prayer. We pray frequently and specifically. Look at this in Philippians 4. In Philippians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says this to the church at the city of Philippi. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, whew, right there, that could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but we're going to keep going. There's a comma there, right? All right, comma. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety, fear, doubt, uncertainty. It's amazing how each of us really do struggle with those things, right? I mean, to some degree, differing levels of, of degree, we all struggle, we all experience anxiety. Things make us fearful. Things put doubt in our minds, and, and, and we really don't know how to deal with the uncertainties of life sometimes. In many, way, in many ways, anxiety is, is very natural because we all suffer from the curse of living in a sinful and broken world with uncertainty as the norm, right? I mean, this world, I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news any given day and there is tragedy. There, is, there are terrible things that we have to see that are actually happening out there in the world that we, we kind of try to block out in our minds sometimes and we, and we try to maybe hide some of that and shelter ourselves from the reality of a lot of the things that are happening in the world around us. And the reality is though, a lot of those things are happening in our own hearts. And, and we try to block that out. And we try to hide from ourselves and, and the misery of what our sin does to us when we're living in it. You see, we all are separated from God by nature because we're human. The human race, when our first, the first humans, Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, that started a massive ripple effect or chain reaction where now as they're as their descendants, our ancestors, they give us, we inherit by nature as humanity. We inherit this nature inside of us that does not want to please God and love God above all things. No, we want to please ourselves and essentially worship ourselves. And we want to put ourselves ahead and above God in all aspects of our lives. That's why we need a savior. Right? That's why we need Jesus to come and be what we cannot be. A perfect, a perfect, obedient sacrifice before the Lord to absorb the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us for our sin and rebellion against our creator. Jesus stepped in and took that punishment for us. Yet, we still live with all this anxiety because we live in a broken, uncertain world and we ourselves are deeply flawed, even though we are purchased by the blood of Jesus and have, if you've, if you've repented of your sin and you've turned to Christ to be your savior, then yes, you belong to God and nothing can take that away from you. But we still live in a broken world. And so we still, in our human nature, experience lots of doubt and fears and anxiety. So of course, we're going to have moments where we doubt God's goodness. 
You're going to have those moments where you're just not 100% sure in your mind, in the moment, that God is really looking out for you, that he is really good, where, where we doubt his control, right, in our circumstances, when our lives seem out of control, where we are discontent with our present and, and, and worry too much about our future. These feelings are natural to have, but we can't let them control us. That's, that's where you have to draw the line. It's natural to have those feelings of doubt about your faith and your relationship with the Lord and about the world and the anxiety that produces inside of you, but it is not okay to let that control you. We can't answer to those feelings as if they are our master and, let, and, and that they rule us day to day. So how do we deal with that? What's one of the primary ways the Bible tells us to overcome this power that anxiety and, and fear and doubt can have over us? You know what? Prayer. Prayer. Paul says not to be anxious about anything. Instead, what does he say to do? He says pray about those things that are bothering you. Do we really do that though, you know? Like, I think we all, I think most Christians are good at just kind of tossing up the, like, quick prayer in the car, you know, or when you wake up or whatever, or maybe before a meal. Like, we're good at tossing up just those quick, like, it's not Hail Marys, but, you know, something, the Baptist form of that, you know? <laughs> and so, I'm telling you, it's like we, we have it down to this, like, little habitual thing we do where it's like, Lord, blah, blah, blah. And, and, but how much time do we really spend focusing our heart with the Lord? And, and that's really what prayer is, guys. It is, it's, it's God, it's God tuning your heart into his, you know? That's essentially what, what's happening when you pray. The Lord is tuning your heart like, like a radio dial. Remember those things, right? He's tuning your heart into his heart. He's aligning. He's aligning your life with his will through prayer. Prayer's powerful because it's putting you on the same page as your creator. Man, that's amazing. That means you're not living in this false whatever you've created in your head where there's lots of anxiety and fear. It means that all of a sudden you're living in reality and walking in line with the Lord and who he created you to be and the circumstances, though they are unpleasant, you can still see that a good God, a good father has his hand on you and is walking with you and perhaps carrying you through those difficulties. Prayer is powerful because as we voice as we get things off our chest to the one who made us, it truly transforms us. It, it, we, we should pray specifically about the things that are, that are causing us to really worry and stress out. We should pray about everything, Paul says. Prayer is it, simply talking to God, which in and of itself is amazing, right? I mean, the fact that we have an open channel right, to talk to the creator of the earth and the moon and the planets. I mean, we can talk to him at any time. That is incredible in and of itself. You know, the Bible, the Bible's full of different kinds of prayers. Prayers of thanksgiving, uh, prayers of commitment, prayers of desperation. You see a lot of that in the Psalms. Uh, prayers requesting God to act. Prayer of confession, Prayers asking forgiveness. Prayers expressing trust in God that he will provide. So there's all kinds of different ways to pray that we see biblically in the Bible and, and modeled for us. So here at Kernan, as a church, right, we want, we want to follow the models of prayer already laid out for us in the Bible. We want to follow the path and the, and the descriptions of prayer that we see in the scriptures, which, which means that we need to be praying frequently, but also specifically. Our hearts are too weak and this world is too broken for us not to pray frequently 
and specifically about the things that are bothering us. We want to develop consistent rhythms of prayer in our daily lives. I think a great place to start if if you're struggling with prayer and and doing it frequently and specifically, uh, what I have found helpful to me personally is, is praying some of the Psalms. Right, So if you read uh, some of the Psalms, and because and, a lot of the Psalms are prayers, right? It's David and others you know, writing songs to God, but in prayerful form. And, and so as you look to uh, some of those Psalms, it's really amazing. And there's, there's uh, even some commentaries you can get that have been helpful for me to like, see how you can really digest some of those Psalms and pray prayers related to them that have been helpful. So <clears throat> that's just one tip. You know, look at the Psalms. If you're struggling with your prayer life, open up the Psalms and, and just read and, and really think about what the author is saying and then pray that yourself for your own life. Uh, it's really powerful. But we want to develop these consistent rhythms and, and not just heap up those empty phrases, those Baptist Hail Marys, right? We want to be specific. We want to be detailed in our prayers, bringing those specific requests to God. So it's amazing uh, the burdens that are lifted when you bring those specific things to God, when you, when you talk candidly to him about how you feel and, and where you're struggling and, and what you're anxious about. That's why Paul says, if you look again in Philippians 4, verse 7, the result of praying in that kind of way is this. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's really something powerful happening, right? The, the fruit of your prayer is that Jesus is, is guarding your heart, right? He's guarding your mind. And so when Satan tries to feed you some kind of lie, right? When Satan is trying to tell you otherwise, that you are not good enough and, and that the Lord doesn't love you, or he doesn't really love you, he doesn't really care about you, you're never gonna do anything good for the Lord, right? When you're hearing these doubts in your mind from whatever source, the when you pray and you verbalize these doubts, Jesus, right, he has the power to do this. He guards your heart. He guards your mind. So here at Kernan, we need to be praying like this individually, but also together. And that can look, um, you know, that, that looks like a lot of different things. Uh, it can be organized. So during your community group time, you need to be praying together. Uh, you could possibly meet and pray with a prayer group here at the church during the week. Uh, You could pray at one of our corporate prayer gatherings during the worship service. We pray right from the stage. We pray corporately together. Uh, When we partake in the Lord's Supper, we have time of prayer, right? But it also needs to be not just organized in those ways, but also spontaneous. And what I mean is, if you know someone in the church, if a fellow church member is really struggling with something, man, pray for them. And I, and I mean go up to them, right? Go up to them and ask them, how can I pray for you? Um, call them and pray, pray with them over the phone. Pray with them right here in the hallway if you need to, right? It's not weird. We're at church, right? It's not, it's not weird at all. It, it's a great thing. Show your brothers and sisters in Christ, hey, I want to pray for you. How can I be praying for you? Or I know that this has happened in your life recently and I just want you to know I love you. Can we just take a moment and pray together? We need to do more of that. Prayer with others in the church, it's not something we do to make others think we're super spiritual, and it shouldn't be, but it also shouldn't be something that we shy away from because of it being weird or, or fearful. We should be quick to pray together as a church because we are all in this together, right? That's kind of the point. <laughs> we're all in this fight, in this world, so to speak, together. And so God's people don't need to be afraid to pray out loud for one another and with one another. Praying together as a church will keep us unified. And most importantly, it'll keep us in tune with the heart of God corporately together. So, are you praying frequently and specifically? Core value number four. We serve the needs of others before our own. It's the fourth of our five core values here at Kernan. We want to be a church that serves the needs of others before our own. 
And the reason we want to do this is because of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Listen to this. This will, this will be on the screens for you. Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, listen to this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a comma there, and we're going to come back to that. But here's, here's what we know. Serving, serving others implies action, right? So, so serving others implies action, that you're doing something. And we'll see that in just a minute. But, but first notice that Paul is talking about a mindset, right? He's talking about a mindset here more than he is specific ways that we can serve others. Because our motivation Right? Our motivation for serving others outside and inside the church must come from a desire, a desire to improve the lives of others. You see, we all have a deep desire to improve our own lives, right? I mean, who in here doesn't want to improve your own life, right? No one has to coach us through that, right? No one has to convince us to spend time and money trying to improve our personal lives. That comes naturally because you are your biggest fan, right? Now, I'll prove that to you, okay? I've used this illustration before, but it's so, it, it just proves the point so well. So, so if you, if I were to take a, a group selfie right now, I should have brought my phone up here with me, and I'd do it. All right, if I were to take a big group selfie, okay, with me and all of you behind me, and, and I showed it to you individually, one by one, you know what you're going to do? Each of you are going to zoom in to where you are first, right? And you're going to see what you look like, right? If this is a good picture of you or not, if your eyes were open or not, or oh my goodness, I was asleep and now there's evidence, right? <laughs> I was sleeping in church and now there's evidence, right? Um, nobody's asleep, by the way. Uh, it, 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 this, that's what we do, right? If you take a picture at a party or, or a, a Thanksgiving or Christmas or something, and, and then they show you the picture, you look and see if you look okay. And if you look okay, oh, we should post that to Facebook, right? We should put that on Instagram so everybody can see it. It doesn't matter if everybody else's eyes are closed or not. We selfishly are thinking about ourselves first, always, right? We always are. It's just in us. It's, it's just part of our sinful nature to think of ourselves first. And, and all that self-centered thinking, all right, follow me here, right? All of that self-centered thinking and mindset, that leads to self-centered action. Self-centered mindset leads to self-centered action. So how do we overcome that? What, what's the key to overcoming this? Well, the key, the key is found in these verses. In conjunction with the next few verses in Philippians 2, look, look at this. In Philippians 2, I want us now to read verse, from verse 3 to verse 8. We didn't go that far. Let, let's start in 3 and let's go all the way to verse 8, Philippians 2. Look at this again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, right? It's a mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, comma, here we go, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. Jesus is God. He was in heaven seated on his eternal throne, he did not count that equality with God a thing to be 
grasped or taken advantage of, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the worst kind of death, even death on a Roman cross. What Jesus did for us, the fact that he had all the riches of heaven, he is the creator of the universe. All things were made through him and for him and by him. The fact that he emptied himself and became fully God and fully man, humbled himself and came to earth to be born, by the way, in poverty, not in a palace, in poverty, and raised in just a normal Nazarene village home. Nothing special, nothing spectacular. And then lived a life as an adult of great suffering, ridicule, mockery, and unjust punishment. Ultimately, his death on a symbol, a crucifixion, a cross that the Romans created to kill and torture people with. He did all of that. He humbled himself. Why? Because he put your interests before his own. You see, the key, excuse me, the key to putting others before ourselves is for us to look to the God of the universe who did just that for us. You see, we're never going to love people with the love of God if we do not daily experience and appreciate the love of God ourselves. You got to understand that. You are not going to love your spouse. You are not going to love your children. You are not going to love your neighbor. You are not going to love your fellow church member the way God loves you if you don't first appreciate that love from God yourself. Gratitude is the key to a servant heart. When we realize what we deserve, yet what we've been given through Christ, that deep gratitude, when you really meditate on that, when you really accept that and it drills down into your heart, that deep gratitude will be what breaks the chains of selfishness around your heart and your mind. Pastor uh, J.D. Greer says, I like the way he says this, One of the, a prayer that he often prays is to God, Lord, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. It's that simple. God, as you have been to me, let me be that way to others. That's the mindset. And if we truly have this humble and grateful mindset, it will free us to act to actually serve others in and outside the church. So so what does that look like? What what does living out this core value look like here at Kernan? Oh man, there's a thousand different ways, right? There's all kinds of different ways. I mean, even just today uh, in our community group in in CG30, I walked in there and we we had a time of announcement and I reminded them a couple of things that are going on. And and you know what? They're they're preparing a a meal train for someone who just had a baby. Uh, They're talking about, you know, providing gifts for someone who is in the process of fostering and adopting. It's just those kinds of things. Putting the interest of others before your own. Serving others before you serve yourself, right? And so many of you have done things like that. Provided families uh, with with meals who've lost a loved one or, or a widow and and help them and just praying for them and giving monetarily to them or just maybe coming to church and serving in the nursery or the extended care hour or with the student ministry or teaching kids or working on the first impression team or our safety team, right? There's all kinds of ways, organized, unorganized, uh, uh, on a schedule, spontaneous. There's thousands of ways for us to put the interest of others before our own as a church body. Question is, though, are we grateful for what the Lord's done for us first so that we're ready and eager to do that here? 
for one another and beyond outside the church. So are you serving the needs of others before your own? Lastly, number five. We believe here at Kernan that membership is essential to one's commitment to the church. We believe membership is essential to one's commitment to the church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul said this. He, he after giving a, a pretty lengthy analogy of the church being like the body of Christ, he says this, now you, church member, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The church is the body of Christ and individually members of it. So first of all, there's an assumption, there's an assumption in this final core value that the church is something we should commit to, right? We're talking about one's commitment to the church. So we're assuming right off the bat, based on what the scriptures teach us, that the church is something worth committing to. So before you even think about becoming a, a member of, of, of Kernan here, you first need to determine if the church of Jesus in general is something that you really want to commit to. Because here's the thing. The New Testament assumes that Christians are a part of a local church, right? It assumes that. Like, I really want us to see how bizarre how bizarre of an, of an idea it would have been to the people Paul is writing to, to first century Christians who are being persecuted for their faith, right? And who are living in, in much different ancient world and times than us, yes, but still the principle remains the same. It would be bizarre for them to think of, of someone to say they are a Christian but not be committed to their local church. Now, is it possible in today's world to be a Christian and not commit to a local church? Sure. Technically, yes. Now, you just need to know it's a lot easier to get away with that in America for a variety of reasons, okay? But that is about as silly as, as you putting on a Jaguars football jersey and a helmet and, and pads and just running around town tackling people, okay? Just by yourself, right? And you start yelling as you tackle people, I'm a football player, I'm a football player, right? Number one, you're gonna get arrested. Don't do that, okay? Now, you might, could make the team this year, but that's beside the point, all right? A real, a real football player needs a team. A real football player needs a team to actually be a football player, right? You can't just go rogue and be a one-man team. Well, it, it also doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense for you to say you are a Christian, but actually never participate or commit to the team that God has placed you with. The local church, the family of God, the body of Christ. The country singer Loretta Lynn had a song where she said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. I'm thinking about writing one that says, everybody claims to be a Christian, but only a few people want to actually go to church. Here's why this is important and worth committing to. Paul says you are the body of Christ, right? We are the body of Christ because we are united together in a real spiritual fellowship in Christ. There is a real bond, a real connectedness that we share in and through Jesus. We are grafted together into the vine, into the family of God. We are the people of God whom he has called to himself and purchased with the blood of Jesus. And, and it's God's intent that we acknowledge this real spiritual bond we all have and share and, and come together to worship him together, walk with him together and be a witness to this world together. It was never 
God's intention for any of us to try to do this by ourselves. We were made for each other. We were made for him and to love him together. The church was instituted by Christ. It's his creation. It's his plan. It's his bride. He gave up his life for the church. And it is his plan for all of his people to commit to his body. Now, notice Paul also says that individually we are members of this body. So Paul's using a metaphor here, right? That just, just like a body has different parts with different functions, so does the church. In other words, Paul's saying each person has something to contribute, right? Now, when he talks about, when we talk about membership though, right? So, so our core value is, you know, we believe membership is essential to one's commitment to the church, so when we talk about church membership, that does scare, I understand, trust me, that scares a lot of people because they don't really know what that means. And they're like, what is, I thought this was a church for everybody and now it's starting to sound more like, you know, the word membership. What is this, Costco? I mean, come on, right? That, no, it's not, right? Uh, so what we're talking about here, when we talk about membership, I just want to real quick show you uh, why this is biblical and, and what, we're, what we mean by that. So, so why is formal membership essential to your commitment to a local church and, and specifically even here at Kernan? Well, three reasons real quick, all right? Number one, it's biblical. It's the New Testament model, right? So throughout the New Testament, we see formal membership, right? We see the church is an organized body. It's not just a chaotic random gathering. It is a clear organized body of people who have committed to one another. Number two, it provides accountability to keep the body of Christ pure and healthy, right? So that's very important. We want to be healthy and pure in our beliefs, our doctrine as a church, but also how we live out those beliefs in our practice, right? So in our beliefs and our practice, we want to be a healthy body for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And so a, a church membership provides the space and the organization for us to really say, you know what, let's do this together. Here is our statement of beliefs, right? Here's what we say we are believing and we prioritize here at this church, right? Every other churches may be different, but, but that's why we say, no, I've joined Kernan and I agree to that statement of belief. I want to pursue the vision God has given them in this part of Jacksonville, right? That's, it's, it's clear, it's organized. And it provides that accountability to do that. Uh, number three, and lastly, it's an expression of your commitment to God and others. So we say to God, Lord, I am committed to your body. And we're also saying to one another, I'm committed to you. And that's a beautiful thing, right? It, it really is. It, it's kind of like, like dating versus marriage, you know? Like, Dating, you can say, I love you and I'm committed to you and all this good stuff. But I got news for you. <laughs> Until you say, I do, and there's a legal agreement and you have made a covenant with that person before God and man, it's just not the same. And, and so what we see in church membership is really the same thing. Until you say, you know what, man, I want to I wanna agree. And I want you to know, brother, I want you to know, sister in Christ, that, that I love you and I'm here for you. I'm gonna have your back. I, I'm gonna go through the deepest, darkest valleys with you and I'm gonna walk with you through those valleys and I'm gonna rejoice with you on the mountaintop as well. It, it's a covenant, it's a commitment and it's really a beautiful thing. And it makes God, it, it pleases the Lord, right? For us to know that we really are serious about helping and serving and loving and caring for one another as we pursue him together in that formal way. It does. It's an amazing thing. So, so I, I think that, I, I hope that paints a clear picture for you and, and there's a lot more detail we could go into we just don't have time for today. But I, I hope you see now the importance of, yeah, actually joining and becoming a member of a, of a local church and, and why it's biblical. Well, hey, the good news is uh, we're offering our new members class um, in the spring, a little bit later on, and you can go ahead and sign up for that today. So, hey, if you're here and, you're, and you say, you know what, 
uh, I'm not 100% sure, and that's totally okay, but I would love to know more about what it looks like to actually be a member here at Kernan. Well, we offer a class just for that opportunity. It's called Discover Kernan. So Discover Kernan. Uh, it's going to be later this spring. But today we have a sign-up sheet in our, at our info desk in the lobby. So you can walk right out these doors. Uh, you'll see the big blue banner. It says Discover Kernan. Right beside that you can sign up, and we'll contact you uh, as soon as the class is, is scheduled officially on a certain date. But go ahead and sign up for it so that we have your information and listen, that class, uh, just because you take that class doesn't mean that you're a member. And, and just, you know, just because you take it doesn't mean anything. It just means that you want to know more about what Kernan is like. Now, the class is required to become a member, yes. Um, but you can just take it if you're interested to find out more about the church. So sign up for that today. That'd be a great first step uh, for you in discovering and learning more about who we are here at Kernan. But hey... You know, I hope, my prayer is that as we conclude this, this vision checkup for the year 2022, I hope this has been good for you as an individual and, of course, us collectively, because I hope that you see exactly who it is that God is calling us to be as a church, what we believe, the, the vision he's given us. And I think we have a great, great hope. I know we have a great hope ahead of us, not because of anything we put on paper or anything we do, but because of what Christ has done. We are his. We are his forever, you know? And doesn't that fill your heart with hope? Doesn't that give you the faith and the perseverance you need, the motivation? You are Christ forever, and there's nothing that can change that. And if that's true for you as an individual, that is true for us collectively as the church, the body of Christ. Because one day, our Lord and our Savior, he's going to come back. He's going to return to this earth. And he's going to call his people home. And we're going to live with him forever. And there won't be any more need for the church as we know it here today. Because we will be with God in the city of God forever. He will be seated on his throne and we will live and worship and walk with him in all the ways that he created us and designed us to be that we fail so miser miserably at now. In the meantime, as we look forward to that great day, here we are. Here we are together. And it's so important for us to pursue who God wants us to be together because we can't do this alone. We are weak by ourselves and I think it's a beautiful thing for us to admit that. We do need each other. And thank the Lord, he gave us each other. What a beautiful God to give up his own life so that sinners like us could have eternal life. And so that we could be united with him and with other, other sinners redeemed, redeemed and rescued by grace. This church is not for people who have figured out their lives and have their lives all neat and orderly and have done a really hard job to impress God, that's not who this church is for. This church is for the brokenhearted and the people who can admit and humble themselves and say, I can't save myself. I have tried and I can't. And I need Jesus every step of the way. Sinners saved by grace, forgiven and redeemed. May we be a church that declares that truth and that humbles ourselves and says, we need Christ every hour, Lord, I need you. And we do that together. I hope that can be true for us. And I want us to pray together now and ask the Lord that that would be true. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you 
for loving us and for sacrificing yourself. For losing your life so that we could find life in you. Jesus, you are so good to us. Your mercies are new every morning. Lord, when we turn to you, we are forgiven. And you redeem us. You take our ugliness and our brokenness. And Lord, you, you work. You work in us and you, you shape us and you, and you put the pieces back together and you mold us into who you created us to be. It's a beautiful thing. When you save us and call us to yourself and you begin the inner work of transformation through your Holy Spirit, through your gospel message and power working deep in our hearts. Jesus, thank you for caring for us in this way. And Lord, what a beautiful thing and a special thing that we never, ever should take for granted that we get to be a part of this story and that process of redemption together as the church. That we do have Others we can relate to because we're all going through this process of, of sanctification, of, of you renewing us and, and remolding us and reshaping us, Lord. We get to do that together. And I thank you for that privilege and that honor to be a part of the body of Christ. So, Lord, I pray that as we, as we pursue as a church who you want us to be collectively, that individually, Lord, we'd be so grateful and so appreciative and so glad and happy and joyful to be a part of this together, to join together and say, we are the Lord's people. So help us, God, help us to, to, to value that and to live that out in our lives. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you are making us. May we be faithful, may we be humble, daily admitting our need for you as we join together and say, we love you, Lord, we are your people. Use us for your glory to make disciples. It's in your name we pray, amen.